How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. What's up with you? Oh, uh, not a whole lot. I'm looking forward to the weekend. It's nice here, and I'm going to go for a walk in the woods this afternoon and ride bikes tomorrow. So, so that sounds pretty pleasant. Not a bad weekend. How about you? I am going to. It's it's Saturday, uh, March something tenth. Tenth, as we record this, I'm going to Atlanta tomorrow for a conference. Nice. And you're going to be speaking at this conference, right? Yes. 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 I am doing the You Deserve Nice Things, which will have a little interesting topical addendum because of all this like swift evolution, like toggling of bulls discussion. Oh yeah. And like, how should we think about this stuff and how does it fit in? So it'd be a nice little addition. Are you wanting to talk about more of the discussion over like tone of swift evolution discussion or are you, do you want to cover like the addition itself? Some of it. I mean, if I like, I'm not sure if I can express this point as well as I want to, and I'll depend on like how I write it. But I really want to understand what is the reticence that some people have to adding stuff like this, like just pure helpers and convenience stuff. Because some people consider it like like almost like an affront of like, oh, we don't need this extra stuff. Like I can write this myself. And it's like, well, if it's there, you don't have to move your keys and go to a different file. And like, and like you can just write the code that you want to write like in line. And so I want to try to like tease out like, why are some people so reticent to under- add this kind of thing? And why are some people more open to it? I'm very interested in that. Yeah. I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit in uh, episode 59 uh, at the very end of that episode. I think my reticence is just like the more stuff you add, there's more, there's just more surface area to learn. And that's not necessarily a problem, especially with something like toggle where it's pretty clear based on the name, what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's optional. Like you don't have to use it. You can, if you, if you think, your code is better served or you don't know about it, you can just write my, my bool equals not my bool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Um, my other concern was just that it encourages like code that tends to violate the, the law of Demeter, which which right. isn't great. So, so that's true of this particular change, but like there's other changes that make po- make code more expressive or like don't have crutches like, like that one might. Yeah, and in... I'm going to say in general, I'm in favor of adding those. Like, I definitely appreciated the point of your, like, you deserve nice things talk. Uh, And we'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Have you ever, like, done, like, my array equals my array dot filter with this test? Like, you want to filter in place? I mean, I can't think offhand, but I'm sure that I have, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I don't know, it's like stuff like that that's like, it's like, I feel like when that's there, you would want it to be there, but I don't know. Yeah, because like that's like you know in some sense like less duplication of of thing equals thing dot filter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, yeah. again, I feel like this is a case where you like, do we want to encourage people to to mutate things in place, or do we want to encourage a more like functional style of thinking about things? Right. And I mean, I guess Swift really isn't a you know Swift has some like functional capabilities, and you can pass functions around, right? But it's not a functional language, so maybe adding stuff that lets you mutate in place is fine. Yeah. Well, there's some cases in which it's like the code is just better if you add mutating versions. I have a blog post that's kind of about this. So if you, um, some of the uh, affine transform functions are, some of them are mutating and some are not mutating. Uh, if you like rotate by like pi over two, let's say like rotate the view on its side, right now you have to do like view.transform equals view.transform rotated by pi, which is pretty readable, but like just view.transform rotate by pi is a little bit better. And then if you're doing that inside an animation block, like there are cases where we do rely on mutation as we write our code. And like, 
like to ignore those, I think is is a little bit of folly. Yeah, I I'll yeah. allow that. Yeah. But the other part of it is like the APIs just aren't ex- aren't consistent between like should they be mutating or should they be not. Do you mean like with things like UIKit or Core Graphics specifically, or just not even, in general? Even in Pure Swift. So if you're like looking at like appending something to an array, if you want to create a new array that you've appended to, the like idiomatic Swift way to do that is take your array, use the plus operator, and then wrap the object that you want to add onto it in brackets to like create an array literal, and then like append those two arrays together. There's no array dot appending, but there is an array dot append. Hmm. I hadn't realized. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's like, yeah. like, why is that mutating but and not not mutating? Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. I wonder if they're like, I I mean, again, common theme here. I haven't really followed the Swift evolution discussion, but but I wonder if there has been like discussion on the theory in Swift of how we decide what things get like mutating and non mutating counterparts, and what things are just one or the other. Yeah, um, I I tried to like like kind of explore this in that post. And I think some of it is like when you want to insert or remove something from a collection, that's almost always uh, mutating for some reason. There's no like array removing this object. Mm -hmm. There's no like set inserting this object. You have to union it with another set that already includes that object. So I think it's like there is a pattern behind it, but I just am not sure about any consistency behind that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. One other note on the bool thing, on toggling bools, is um, I heard one other justification that I hadn't considered that I think is really good, which is if you have like an optional object and you have a bool on that optional object, if you want to flip that like optional object, you know, and then question mark dot bool equals not optional object mm-hmm. dot question mark bool doesn't work because you can't use the not operator on an optional pool because that's what you get when you do optional optional chaining. Okay. So you end up having to like guard it, unwrap it, and then flip it, or do like fall or like question mark question mark false and then like write the whole thing in parentheses, which is ugly and like talking yeah. is just way nicer than that's that. That's not great. I'll, yeah. th- I think that that may be the most convincing argument for this proposal that I've heard. Um, yeah. I, I wish that that had been an example given in the motivation for the proposal. Because I do find this more convincing than like sometimes you have to write you know like my object dot object dot object dot bool twice. <laughs> yeah, I definitely definitely feel that it is. Yeah, it's optionals make things weird. Yeah, optionals make things weird. Yeah, so heading to Atlanta, that's going to be fun. I'm excited to see a bunch of people and um, maybe some listeners of the show. If you're if you're there, hit me up. Yeah, I guess this comes out. This will come out after the conference. Yeah, this will come out next Friday and the conference will be over. Well, I hope I will have talked to some of you. Um, <laughs> I expect to have talked to some of you. Uh, the whole thing is like tiki and Hawaiian themed. So that should be interesting. There's like a luau and like, should be cool. Oh, I don't know if we've yeah. ever been to a luau. I also have not been to a luau. I have not been to non-mainland United States, if that makes sense. I've never been to Alaska and Hawaii. Nor have I. I would like to. I, I really want to go to Alaska at some point. Like, yeah, that seems like a cool place. It does. I yeah. you know want to go in the summer. I think, but yeah, that's probably <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of really good wilderness stuff out there. There is, yeah. Like we, it's we have a lot of good. I, uh, we have so many good national parks just in the U.S. Like I'm a huge uh, national parks fan and, and advocate. Alaska has the only national park. I'm pretty sure this is right that you cannot drive to. Really? Yeah, Gates of the Arctic National Park. Oh, you have to yeah. hike to the edge of it. You you have to park outside of it and then hike to the edge of it. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. And it's huge. Yeah. It's like really, it's like probably bigger than some states, I would guess. I'm Googling gates. Yeah. I think I think the way that most people get to the interior is they take an air taxi. So you just pay someone a couple hundred bucks to fly you yeah. and your gear out to like some like hilltop, basically. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> it's the second largest national park. It, it has a slightly larger area than Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Googling. So it's uh, 13,238 square miles. And I'm on Wikipedia's list of U.S. states and territories by area. Uh-huh. Okay. So it is bigger than a, than several states here. It's bigger than D.C., Guam, American Samoa, the Virgin Islands, Rhode Island, Northern Mariana Islands, Delaware, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, Connecticut, New Jersey, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Hawaii, and Maryland. Yeah. That Maryland is or, not a small no, state. Mar- uh, it's, it's slightly smaller than Maryland. Sorry. Okay. So it's about the same size as Maryland. That's right. a national park. That's awesome. Oh, man. And the Google <laughs> image search results Belgium. for this. Oh, click over oh, the it's Google gorgeous. Image results. Yeah. Gates of the Arctic is incredible. Man. I would love to go there sometime. Uh, let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. So other stuff to talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about programming. <laughs> Uh, so national parks are cool. If you are visiting, if you live in the U.S. I, and you don't visit national parks, you, you should check out na- whatever national parks are near you. If you're visiting the U.S. at some point, like take some time to go to uh, one of the national parks that's, that, that's near to wherever you're going to be visiting. Yep. I cried when I went to Yosemite. Uh, I've actually never been to Yosemite. I've, it's really good. I, I know. It's really, really I good. Know. Uh, so other stuff that we wanted to talk about, we I, I know that we discussed briefly ideas uh, or, or your idea about uh, an interesting thing you could do with dynamic callable, which is that uh, it seems like we could make a pretty like a flexible, reusable mock object using the dynamic callable and um, and dynamic member lookup, right? Yeah, in general, I think dynamic callable is so like unreasonably powerful. That like we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the crazy things that we can build with it. Like, and and one idea that I threw out the other day was like you could build mocks that could just accept any message, right? And then you can verify. I mean, much like you do in any like mocking framework, verify that you received like X message with Y parameters, or like right. verify that um, you know we the code actually like actually used this property. Right. Exactly. And. Uh, is mock the right term here? I, I know there's like doubles, spies, mocks, and stubs. So in this case, I believe that mock is the correct term for what we're describing. Something that like records and uh, records accesses to it and like validates or allows you to validate what uh, accesses were made to the mock object. Cool. I will throw okay. an article about uh, mocks versus um, stubs in the uh, in the yeah, show notes. I, I- Cool. I can never remember the difference. And I use the word mock. We were talking about this in Slack, and I was like, is that right? Is, my, is somebody going to like get pedantic on me? Uh, so I got pedantic on myself prematurely yeah. so that nobody could do it. So mock objects, um, <laughs> so after just a quick Googling here, uh, mock objects are, are objects programmed with expectations that about like the calls they're going to receive. Uh, stubs are objects that provide canned answers to like something uh, to, to calls that are made during the test. 
Uh, So like if you had a sub network client, you would say like, you know, when I make this network call, give me this response. It doesn't actually hit the network or anything. So in this case, we were talking about a sub. And then um, if I'm remembering right, a test double is just like any sort of pretend object, be it a mock or a stub that that we use in uh, in tests. Got it. So so mock should technically only return void. I don't know if that's true. I think that you probably have like um, a mock object that can like that can return a value, right? Because you need to do that in order to uh, like test interaction with with at least some APIs, right? Right, but doesn't that make it a stub then? I mean, this these aren't super like formal yeah. and exclusive definitions. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, cool. here we go. Mar- so, Martin Fowler mocks aren't stubs. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so generally, like if you have an object that can respond to any message, then it's really easy to say, okay, well, here's my mock. It's a dynamic callable. You know, I expect it to hear this selector, and I resp- expect it to like have you know these things for parameters like maybe you could pass in some special like enum that says like oh this should be this can be any object don't care what this is this needs to be this specific object this needs to be an object that passes this test i don't know what the api looks like exactly but you can basically pass all this stuff to the mock ahead of time and say like hey i expect these messages and when you get these messages you can return this value and because it just accepts any message like it can it, it conforms to every protocol it like it just works everywhere and it's something that we like really couldn't do in swift before right because you had to have totally yeah so the idea here is that you just have this single object that you can conform to any protocols that you need to conform to in order to inject this into whatever api you're using and just by nature of the fact that it accepts any uh like any method calls it conforms to any of these protocols Um, I think that the thing to call out here is that unlike in, say, Objective-C, where you could just cast a mock object to any, like, pretend that it's any type, in Swift, uh, you would still need to have an API that accepts a protocol rather than a concrete uh, type, right? Right, yes, you do have to do that. So, like, if I want to have a mock object for... um, Let's continue for, for like, a network client uh, class and like it, it pass that to something that uses a network client to verify interaction with that network client that api can't accept a concrete network client class it still has to accept like a protocol that we can conform this mock to right right yes it does open a question of once we have dynamic callable and dynamic rubber lookup can you just conform them to every protocol I forget whether there was anything about this specifically in the dynamic callable proposal, but I think that you could. Yeah, I think that would end up being a really important part of it, I think. I think that's key to uh, an important part of like the just that dynamic callable functionality or an important part of being able to do this mocking specifically. Well, both, but but like I think you want like your python object to be able to conform to some protocols, like if you're bringing them in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's definitely true. And, um, I mean, I think this makes sense thinking through, I mean, unless I'm missing something, I don't see why having something defined in a protocol would mean that it can't be something that gets, uh, implemented or provided by a dynamic call or dynamic member lookup. Right. And then it also gives you some type safety where you're saying like, 
this is the set of messages that it expects. It will handle all of them dynamically, and if it doesn't, it will crash. Right. But you still get autocomplete because it's being represented as this protocol. And so you still get some of the safety that you would expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think this is a good idea? Like if I, if, if dynamic or if dynamic callable were to land and I were to need some, some, some mock objects to do some testing, do you think I should do this? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, think about the alternative here. If you want to, uh, you know, I want my network client, I want something that conforms to my network client protocol that I can verify interactions on. Like, I'm going to have to go through and manually implement the methods in that network client protocol and, like, provide, uh, like, manually pr- manually provide ways to verify these interactions. And maybe there's some, like, clever code gen you could do with something like sorcery there. But, I mean, I don't see a reason not to make one of these mock objects and, and use it for for testing like this this seems like a really cool idea to me and something that would like really be legitimately useful yeah nice nice yeah it was just something i threw out i I mean i really think dynamic callable is gonna completely change the way we write swift i mean it's like more flexible than objective c in some ways i mean it is i think using it is uh maybe a little bit you think it's gonna be kind of frowned upon well, I think it'll probably be frowned upon if you're using it like everywhere in the code. And I also think that using it like dealing with arguments seems like it might be a little bit clumsy. But yeah, um, but not not more clumsy than defining your own object. No, definitely not. Like I, th- I really think that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good idea. Plus, it's not like this is going to be like you're not shipping this mock object to in your app in production. This is like a tool to make testing easier. Like I exactly, don't see yeah. any downside. Yeah, in in something like JavaScript. Um, most of the test runners will interpret any thrown exception as a test failure, right? So, and, and I, I assume this holds true probably for Ruby and, and maybe even Python, but I know it's true for, for JavaScript. And so what it means is that you can write a, a mock that accepts, let's say it like accepts some parameters and then it verifies those parameters, like some qualities about those parameters. Like maybe it's an integer that needs to be in this range. And if it's not, you just throw. And since you can throw from anywhere in the language, that will eventually bubble up to your test and cause a failure on that exact line with whatever message you give it. Because Swift doesn't really have anything like that, right? Like all you can do in Swift is you can throw an error, which means that your type signature has to change, Mm -hmm. or you have to you have to basically trap, which means your whole process gets brought down, which I think in every case, your tests are running in the same process. Maybe in the future that could change. But the idea is basically you don't really have a way of creating a test object and then, like, sorry, a, a mock object and then verifying the parameters inside of that mock. Like, you know what I mean? Is that making sense? I'm I'm not sure. Like, typically you would have a... Like you'd have, in addition to just the like conforming it to whatever protocols you're trying to test, you'd have methods that are like expect that such and such method gets called, and then like a method that just is like verify, and and that method would be like throwing or would return like true or false based on whether right. those expectations get fulfilled. So I guess you would put a bunch of bools in there and then say like, oh, was the int in the correct range? True or false? And you can check that stuff later. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to come up with some way for the mock to like remember what expectations were set up. And then. Um, well, you'd be writing it manually in this case. I'm saying like in current days with. Oh, 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 I'm this, sorry. It would be really cumbersome. Oh, yeah. It, it, would, it is not pleasant to do this in current day Swift <laughs> and at all. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So I think this is going to be real weird. And I think we're going to think of even more. Goofy is the wrong word, but just like clever and interesting uses of dynamic callable and dynamic verbal lookup. It's yeah. going to be weird. Totally. I think clever is the is the right word here. Yeah. With all of its somewhat negative connotations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. But um, there are positive, clever things you can do too. Yeah. So I have one other question about this issue. Okay. Which is, I can't seem to find it, but do you remember a while ago, this is kind of more of a like theoretical, how should I test things question. I, I sent you an article that was like testing too specifically proves nothing or something like that. Yeah, I forget. I forget I exactly what it was. I can't remember if I sent you in Slack or iMessage. I can't find and it. And the idea is maybe use the phrase tautology tests or something like that. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, so the idea... Well, so, okay, so what's your question here? So my question is, the the thing that the, that the person raised in this post was like, okay, well, we can write tests that say like, uh, this method was called, and then this method was called, and then this method was called. But what you're really doing at that point is you're testing that the implementation is written in a specific way, mm-hmm. not that the inputs and outputs match up in a specific way. And that, that that test is actually not that useful because it causes a lot of churn, as in any time you make a change to the implementation to, like, let's say, handle a new case, all of those original tests are going to break. And so you're relying on these internal details of the class and its collaborators to say, hey, like, like this order and this, like, this is how things must happen when this, um, when this object works. And so my question is essentially, if we build mocks like this, isn't that kind of falling into this exact trap of saying, okay, well, verify that, like, you know, fetch auth token was called on the, you know, data store. Then, this is like a network example, then, like, verify that, like, this method was called on the URL session. Then verify that this was called on this, um, like the, the, the JSON object builder. This was called on the JSON object builder. And it's like, well, that's actually really tying us to the specific implementation. Maybe what we really want is to be able to, let's say, test this interface to ensure that mm-hmm. anytime we plot pass in this URL, we get back this fully-fledged object or something. So it's like, are we yeah. proving too much with this test? Well, so it, I mean, the, I don't know, kind of like a non-answer here is it depends what test you're writing. Uh, yes. You're right that this is definitely a tool you could use to effectively verify that like every line of code in your actual implementation, uh, like is there and is called. And obviously that test is going to be very brittle and will change when your implementation changes. So really it's a question of, um, and I, I feel like we've talked about this before. It's a question of coming up with tests that are at a high enough level that are testing more like um interaction between APIs at a like higher level in your in your application rather than t- verifying like that an implementation is uh is what it currently is right really you want to try to find properties uh you, you like find and test for properties that should hold true with this api rather than testing like the details of what whatever api you're testing does um and this sounds super abstract and it's definitely something that takes a little bit of a little bit of thinking and a little bit of practice yeah i think uh, it's a bit of a dark art yeah kind of yeah but um i mean you're totally right that you could use this to write like brittle tests uh that, that can be hard to maintain and uh yeah, I mean, I I don't know exactly exactly where to go from from here on this train of thought, but like, 
Right. You 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 want to write tests where if the implementation changes for some reason, but the expectation that the test is looking for doesn't change, that like the test doesn't have to change. Right, right. And I think there's like a lot of thought that's involved in like, okay, well, how do I design this API such that it like I feel like I had one test in the in, in my JavaScript node API days where like I needed the API to always return something in a very specific format. God, what was it? It was like something where like it was like some hex digits and then a hyphen and then some other string. And so like instead of text testing like holding the randomness to be steady and always checking for the same result string, I would like split on the hyphen and then check that like the first half was hex and the second half could be like kind of whatever. It wasn't exactly that because that sounds really stupid. Um, but it, it was something like that where it was like I was trying to be really broad in what I expect, but like but like as narrow as possible. Right, if that makes sense. I, th- I think that yeah. does make sense. Like it's all about trying to find, um, like trying to find that balance. So, as as an example, earlier this week I was like re- changing some code in our sort of subscription and you know su- subscription handling business logic, like kind of boring code, but like was testing some behavior around what happens when a subscription type changes, like someone upgrades or downgrades their their plan for for our application. Mm-hmm. And started out uh, actually pairing with uh, with friend of the show Andrew. Like started out by by okay writing a test that describes what you know what is supposed to happen when the subscription changes. Like uh, when you call like set subscription. Um, like given these these starting points and this ending point. Like what uh, what what do we expect the like state of of this user's plan to to look like at the end of this? And you could imagine like testing that in terms of. Uh, like test net with a mock, like confirm that it calls, uh, you know, that it calls like these methods that change the database in these ways. But that really would be testing more the like implementation, right? So instead, the thing that um, that we end up testing is actually the thing that is easier to test, which is just like, okay, set up a user who has like this this plan, who has the subscription, and then set it to this different subscription. And then, like, read properties out about the user and, like, verify that they've, that they're what we expect for the new subscription. So, like, it's about finding a place where we're testing almost the, uh, like, public API on, on user rather than digging into the implementation to see, to test how it works, if that makes sense. It does make sense. That does make sense. Okay. One of the tips that this, uh, the writer of this post gives is, keep IO separate from logic. And I think that's also a big part of it Mm -hmm. of essentially saying, okay, we'll mock your objects that have to do any IO. So I hit the database, hit the network, whatever you can mock those, but don't mock the objects that are like doing logic. Don't mock. um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's an important part. Uh, I I do want to say also shout out to just Dave. He was the one that interested me to this article. He has this really cool Twitter account. I think it's what just Dave reads. And we oh, put yeah. that in the show notes, and it's everything that I think he likes on in, on Instapaper, or maybe everything he reads in Instapaper, and it just gets auto posted to this account. And so, like, I've actually subscribed to it, and I find tons of really interesting stuff to it, and that's how I found this. So this, uh, yeah, this is a great. Um, I, I think I'm following this Twitter account as well. I'm not logged into my normal Twitter account here, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, there's some really interesting stuff comes across this feed. Something else that I wanted to note based on the, uh, like that example that I just gave is that that what, like what we're doing to like verify this little change to like how, how we handle subscription changes is an example of TDD of test driven development. And 
I just wanted to call out here that like a lot of the time, like people talk about TDD is this like thing that you have to do top down and like this is how you develop your whole application. And um, it's this all encompassing overarching methodology, but it can also just be a tool that you use uh, sometimes, not all the time, just when you like have something, you're trying to make a change or fix a bug and there's like a clear spec and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to write a test that says when I set this property, this uh, is the like, I end up in this state. And so it just write like a two line test that calls a property setter that doesn't even exist yet. And then like reads a property and asserts that, uh, you know, asserts that things are the way you expect them to be. And then just like write some, you know, stupid code that, that gets you to that point. And then, you know, look at your implementation, think, can this be improved? How can this be improved? But like, that's not how we have developed this entire application, like far from it, but like, it's just one of, uh, one of, of many useful tools that like you have at your disposal writing software. It doesn't have to be this like intimidating, all encompassing thing that you do all day, every day. Like, right. It's just a tool for like knowing, you know, have I fixed the thing that this ticket says I need to fix yet? Yeah. Sometimes I really like it when you have a case where, say, like a parser, or you have something, it has a bunch of different inputs and outputs, and you're going to need to be able to handle more complex cases than you're handling right now, but you don't want to break the simpler cases that you've already written. And so it can be really, really nice to just say, okay, well, let's just do really simple tests for the for the simple cases and then like as i change this implementation internally i want to be able to like co- make the code more complex to handle the more complex cases and not break those early ones and i'll keep running the tests every time and that can be a really small part of your app um, especially in ios like since it's so hard to test ui stuff mm-hmm. breaking that stuff out into like logic components or classes and structs that do logic and then testing those to make sure that they don't break for the cases that already work and they continue to handle newer and newer cases. And I found that to be like the best way to do sort of TDD in, yeah. in like an iOS environment. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So one time, I have one little funny story about, about testing. So people yelled at me about it, but I still think it was a good idea. I don't know if you remember, but back in the day when you had an NS data, if you called description on it, right, to just print it to, to whatever, mm-hmm. um, it would return like an, an opening angle bracket and then like eight hex digits and then a space and then eight hex more eight more hex digits and a space and so on until it printed the whole data. Yep. Do you remember this? Yo, yeah, yeah, I do. And, and then this is how yeah, everyone and, was doing push notifications and then everyone's push right. notifications broke. Yep. Yeah. So when Swift came out, they actually changed the representation when you call description on Swift's data struct, right? So um, it's not NS data anymore. It's data struct. So it's a new type. So I feel like they were like, okay, this is a chance to like fix this like description that could print out, you know, tons and tons of stuff into your console if you just try to print this this data and like maybe they don't want that. So um, they're like, all right, well, we're going to change it right now. So they changed it to like, it now prints like data and then like number of bytes like, 216 or something. Mm-hmm. It just prints like a number. I think that's what it prints. So this, of course, broke a lot of, as you said, push notification stuff. And because I, I essentially was working on an app at the time where like, we're, we're moving fast, you're always moving fast. And I was like, well, whatever. I'll just strip out the angle brackets and the spaces and I'll just send that up to the server. And then I was kind of thinking, I was like, you know what? This really is brittle and this really could break. So what I did was I had a test and I assured that when I called like whatever push notification token right. dot generate string version that it would always be the correct 
hexadecimal string representation of that data. And so, and I, and I encoded that into a test, not really expecting it ever to break, but knowing that if it ever did break, um, we would know that like the implementation of the description method changed and like we couldn't rely on it anymore. Lo and behold, Swift 3 rolls around and the test works perfectly. Uh, catches the bug as we're doing the migration and then we're running the tests and then we see like, oh, hey, this changed and this test doesn't work anymore. And at that time, that's when we wrote the correct like, you're supposed to like map over it and right. then like actually turn every this string, data. right? Yeah, turn every byte into like a whatever. Anyway, you're supposed to actually use like a real formatter. Mm-hmm. And so I would love some validation in uh, you telling me that what I did was right, uh, or I would you know I would accept a little heaping of scorn as well. I would I would accept either. I, I don't have any scorn for you. Like that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I think, especially like if you're doing something like that that you know is kind of a hack or like this isn't really how we're supposed to do this, but we're going to do this because we have to ship this. If you can put a test around it quickly like that, like it it does provide a safety net there, right? Even if you're not doing this exactly as you should be doing, you'll have some awareness when that test starts failing that that like something is wrong and you need to go back and revisit that decision. And and clearly like this worked for you. Like this was a good idea and it saved you from shipping something with uh like with this error in it. Yeah, I thought it was a good idea, but I've, uh, you know, some people told me that it was a bad idea. So I wasn't really sure if I did the right thing or the wrong thing. I mean, it stopped you from shipping a bug, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Seems like the right that's thing. That's the whole point of, yeah. Yeah, we had push token tests. I will put a correct implementation of how to generate the correct, correctly formatted string yeah. into the show notes. I mean, because that definitely is the, the correct thing to do. But, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, given the situation you were in, you like had to hack this together. Yeah, put a test around it just to verify that expectation. Yeah, seems reasonable. Cool. I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, I think we're at about half an hour ish. Yeah, that was a cool topic. Yeah, always fun to talk to you. And um, yeah. yeah, catch you next week. Yeah. Catch you after uh, after Atlanta. Yeah, enjoy your conference. Uh, and Thanks. yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Sweet. Talk to you soon.